Hello and welcome back to Attack of Final Fantasy. This is a podcast where I tried to complete every single Final Fantasy game using Attack only. My name's Pete and this week we conclude Final Fantasy 4. In this cave, the first battle, Cain dies very quickly. I forgot that the undead enemies damage you if you have a blood weapon. So, instead of resurrecting him, I just reload my save and don't bother to equip it. I get through the first part of the cave and onto the second, where I find refugees from Elbin Castle. They came here to hide out. The prince has gone to the Tower of Babel to avenge his parents, so after resting up with a makeshift inn, I head for the Tower of Babel once again. On the way, I come across some collapsed soldiers who tell me the prince went ahead alone. After a restroom and discovering the bloodsword, which I didn't equip, I find the prince of Alban, about to face off against Rubicante. Rubicante seemingly mocks him by claiming he doesn't know who he or the kingdom of Alban is. The prince attacks but gets beaten by Rubicante, who says that he's impressed and he looks forward to meeting him again when he's ready. He saunters off as the prince calls after him. The prince's name is Edge, by the way. We approach him and try to help him, but basically he says that he doesn't need help, and when we said we're after Rubicante too, Redia cracks and tells everyone to stop it. Seems that all these characters' deaths have finally caught up with her. With Redia crying, it seems Edge is a bit of a ladies' man. He says he can't bear to see a pretty girl cry. <laughs> And then when Rosa cures him, he says, Two charming girls, maybe this won't be so bad after all. <laughs> after throwing up in my mouth a little bit and having to swallow it, Edge joins the party. With him on board, we continue into the Tower of Babel again. Once inside, I set about exploring. There are some corral creatures here that seemingly kill a random person with one shot, which is great. I find an ogre killer for Cecil, which is an axe. And we finally near what I can only assume is our destination, because Edge's parents appear. They ask Edge to go with them, but when asked where they're going, they reply with HELL and attack. They both transform into monsters, and they're not too hard to take down, it just takes a little while, that's all. Once they're done with, however, Rubicante appears again. He apologises to Edge that his parents were turned into monsters, but it wasn't his doing, it was the scientist guy, um, Lugue, Lugu, Lugue, Lugue, however you pronounce his name. Rubicante only wants to battle us fairly, which is cool. After a rage bubbling side edge bursts, he learns a new jitsu move, which I'll never use, and we approach Rubicante. When we speak with him, he returns us to full strength, and this makes it a fair battle which is what he wanted, and the battle begins. He kills us. Um, Kane lasts a fair while though because of his blood lance, so I reload and fight the king and queen again, but this time I'm going to equip Cecil with the blood sword. This battle was very close. Cecil was the only one to survive, and it was just sheer luck that he did. Thanks to having blood sword equipped, he managed to hang in there. 
At one point he dropped to 89 health. I'm hoping that Rubicante was just a bit of a difficulty spike and I don't have too much leveling before the next boss, but time will tell. With Rubicante finished, some men come running into the tower to see Edge. They have come to help Edge to defeat Rubicante, but he tells them he is dead. After hearing that Golbez was Rubicante's monster, and he is stealing the crystals to reach the moon for some sort of power, Edge decides to join us. Going through the door Rubicante was guarding, we find the crystals, but it's a trap. It's a trap. The trap door opens beneath our feet, and we tumble down to floor 8 of the tower. Now it's time to fight my way out. After a very short while, we find an airship docked in the tower. It's an enemy one, and Edge suggests we steal it, along with calling it Falcon. The Falcon can't fly over lava. I decide the first thing I should do is fly back to the Dwarven Castle. The King tells us Golbez is trying to force open a sealed cavern, and he wants us to go and get the crystal that lies within before he can. He gives us his daughter's necklace, which is key for the cave. I spend some time flying around the underground, but I can't see where this cave is, so I go back to the Dwarven Castle to ask around. As I wander the castle, I find Sid laying in a bed. The party is pleased to see him alive and healing. He asks about Golbez and we explain that we have an enemy airship that can't fly over magma, so he gets up and sets about modifying it for us. And now we can finally fly over anything. Letting Sid rest, we set out to explore the underworld. I find a little smithing place to the south, and the smith is seemingly run out of inspiration. Looks like I'll be bringing him some adamantite later on then. I come across a town called Tomra. Not Troma, no toxic Avengers here. In this town they have some really good equipment for everyone, so I buy what suits and carry on my quest for the sealed cavern. I do find it, but not before finding two other caves, the Sylvan Cave and the Cave of Summons but I land outside the sealed cavern for now because the crystals were important. I save and heal up, then head inside. There's no sign of gold bears here, so I go to the first door and unlock it using a pendant. Inside the dungeon, there are ropes to slide down, which is probably meant to give a false sense of depth. There are also doors that, when you interact with them, they turn into monsters. That, my friends, is D&D at its finest. The first one of these we run into manages to kill Rosa straight away. <laughs> Good on it. It takes a while and many many deaths but I finally arrive at the crystal room. I walk up and swipe the dark crystal from where it rests. On my way out I get attacked by a demon wall but manage to take it out despite running on fumes. I try to walk out of here but it doesn't work so I walk the long walk back to the entrance. As we're about to exit, we hear Golbez address Kane and tell him to bring him a crystal. Kane attacks Cecil and takes it from him. Shocking turn of events again. They all play with Kane to wake up, but he tells us that now Golbez has all the crystals, the way to the moon is open. Then he leaves the cavern. We go back to our airship, then head back to Dwarven Castle to deliver the bad news. The king seems saddened by the news and tells us of a legend that we recognise as the Mycidian legend. The king is surprised that Mycidia is a real place and that the elder is praying. The king suggests that the elder is praying for the lunar whale which is an ancient airship. We have to get back to Mycidia but we have no way of getting to the surface. However, 
Sid comes to rescue once again and attaches a drill to the front of the falcon and then goes back to rest in his old tired bones. Before returning to the surface however, I decide to take a detour and explore those two other caves I found. The first being the Cave of Summons. Here, the floor hurts us, so I cast Float on the party to avoid unnecessary damage. I get into the Land of Summons, and I don't stay too long because Rydia came here as a kid and left as a teen, so I really didn't want to hang around. I find a rat tail in a chest, Bahamut's favourite thing. There must be someone in the world to give it to. As I'm exploring, there are panels on the floor that walk me to different levels. I step on one, and it walks me back to the entrance of the cave, so I've got to make my way back down again. There's a library here, and in a basement, there's another wall panel. It takes us to the royal chambers. I speak with the king, but he doesn't say much, so I try the queen. She is surprised that Rydia is back so soon, and Rydia requests her assistance. But first, we have to beat her in battle. This does not end well. She wipes the floor of us, so I reload and go back down again. This time, I decide to just do some shopping and get out of dodge. And now it's time to explore the other cave, the silver one. Once again, the floor here damages us, so I cast float on everyone. This cave takes you ages to explore because I'm on edge, because you've encountered Malboros, and as everyone knows, they cast bad breath, which can ruin your day. I was going to swear then. My tactic here was to clear a floor of chests, then warp out, rest, save, and then go back down. When I reach the final floor, there's a small house with some fairy creatures in. A man is led in bed here, and it's Yang. The fairies found him, but speaking with him yields nothing. Not even the party is surprised he's here. Can you feel the love, Yang? There's a warp plate here that takes me out. And now there's only one thing left to do here, and that's drill my way out to the surface. On my search for a place to drill, I fly past Tower of Babel, and it's flashing different colours. Golbez must be having one hell of a party. I find a crater and press interact above it. Then I'm back out onto the overworld map the mountains near Agart. The people of Agart are probably regretting setting up a town here, right next to these mountains that are constantly erupting. You might say they regard it. <laughs> anyway, I head straight for Mysidia and the elder comes to meet me at the entrance. He requests we follow him. Then the Mysidian prophecy plays out again and we watch a scene where their mages pray and the lunar whale rises from the ocean. The elder tells us a strange voice addressed him during the praying, and we must go to the moon. Asking how, he tells us that the lunar whale has a crystal inside that can take us there, so we leave and board the lunar whale. I personally think that this is a hideous looking airship. On board, there's a crystal, a control panel, and a fat chocobo. I check to see if there's anything else I should do before going to the moon, and there is a fair bit, so I set off. The first thing is to go pick up my hovercraft and go to a cave near Mithril. Here, I can exchange the rat tail for adamantite. The next thing is to go to the bull and speak to Yang's wife. She gives me a frying pan. She wants us to go and smack Yang with it. So now, it's time to go back underground. Going underground, going underground. I go to the smithy down south and speak with a disgruntled smith. I give him the adamantite and the sword of legend 
and he jumps out of bed and runs downstairs. I speak with him once more and he presents me with Excalibur. This guy works fast. Finally, I have to go back down into that nightmare cave and hit Yang with this frying pan. I actually get out without encountering any Malboros, which is a lovely, lovely surprise. When hit with a frying pan, he wakes up and I think it's something his wife does to wake him up, I guess. I don't know. don't know why a frying pan. He wants to come with us, but the fairies, or as I've just learned, sylphs, which in retrospect should have been a obvious giveaway given the name of the cave I've just gone through to get here was called Sylvan Cave. Anyway, they tell him to rest and come with us instead. And with that, Rydia learns Sylph. I wonder when I get Yang back then. Anyway, I go back to the surface and get back on the lunar well. I pop Yang's claws into a fat chocobo and then touch crystal to fly to the moon. After a short flight there, I fly around for a bit, having a good old gander. There's a large crystal-like building that I can land near, so I land by a cave and go to explore. The first enemies I fight kill the party, so I have to reload. When I get back to the cave, it's called the Lunar Path, and it's a simple corridor that exits back onto the moon's surface. This moon starts kicking me square in the groin over and over. There are these flan things, which, as we know, are my worst enemies, and they take so long to go down and kill my party really quickly. I have to get really lucky with RNG to get through this. After more than a fair few failed runs, I try going back to the planet's surface to buy some fire claws for Edge and fire arrows for Rydia. I'm hoping that these might do more damage to flan enemies, but they don't. I'm still doing one point of damage per hit, and that is when I do hit. So, I have two choices. I either give up and conclude that Final Fantasy IV is not possible with tag only because of the moon flans, or I go back to the planet, find a good spot to grind out some levels, and come back later. I choose to grind. Yep, I'm not giving up. I've come too far now. So I take a couple of nights to grind up. When I left the moon, Cecil was level 43. And when I return to the moon, Cecil is level 55. This time I make my way around through the caves to the crystalline structure and I do not see a single flan on my way there. Unbelievable. Once inside, there are two tiles, one to the left and the other to the right. One heals HP and status effects and the other one restores MP. So, I heal up and go to the next room, and here I'm approached by an old man who appears from above in an orb of light. He introduces himself as Fusoya, an elder who is tasked with protection of the slumbering Lunarians. Or it might be Lunarians, or Lunarians. Who knows? The Lunarians come from a small planet that exists between Jupiter and Mars. So this, much like Final Fantasy VII, takes place in the Milky Way. This could happen, people. This could be happening right now, and we wouldn't well we wouldn't know about it, wouldn't we? Anyway, their planet was on the verge of destruction, so they escaped on a ship to Earth. Because they weren't a fully evolved species, they created another moon where they slept a long slumber. However, one of them refused to sleep 
and wished to terraform the earth to create a new home for the Lunarians. Fusoya managed to force him to sleep by sealing him away with his powers. During this enforced sleep, he managed to channel his evil to corrupt people on Earth and is currently using them to gather the crystals. Cecil comes to the conclusion that this must be what's happening to Golbez. The name of this Lunarian is Zemus, the reason behind the gathering of the crystals. The crystals are a power source and Zemus plans to use them to open a dimensional elevator to bring forth the Giant of Babel to destroy everything on Earth. The other Lunarians think that they can come to an understanding with the beings of Earth. They are sleeping until the people of Earth catch up with them on the evolution scale. Fusuya's brother, Kalua, built the lunar whale so he could visit Earth. He introduced flight and the devil's road to the people there when he did go. Kluya, I think that's how it's pronounced, fell in love, was on Earth, and Cecil is one of his children. The voice that Cecil heard when he went to Mount Odeals to become a paladin was that of his father's. Cecil received the power of his father to help stop Zemus. Busoya tells us that we must go to the Tower of Babel. Edge asks how we're to get in with the barrier being up. With that, Fusoya joins our party, stating that he should be able to enter. What a big-headed bugger. Nearly said the C-word then. Now we have to make it back to the Lunar Whale, and I really did not think any of this through. I did a save before coming in to meet Fusoya, and because I didn't encounter any plans on the way here, I obviously don't know if they still hit hard or not. Well, they do. I have to either hope that I can get back to the Lunar Whale without being hit by any, or level up outside of this Crystal Palace saving after every successful battle. I tried to run it first, so my strategy is to run from cave mouth to cave mouth, saving at each cave entrance and exit. And this worked very well for me because I got to the Lunar Whale again. What I was doing was I was walking a few steps back and forth, then trying to run through to the cave from cave entrance to cave entrance again. I think encounters flick between random tiles when you walk, so if I reloaded and followed the exact same path, I would always run into the same enemies on the same tile every time. But running back and forth stopped this from happening. I don't know if that's exactly how it worked or if that's actually what happened, but it worked. Before I leave the moon, I take a side trip to the cave of Bahamut. I'm not going to try to fight him, but the Genji gear is here, so I'm going to grab it really quickly. This small detour is a success, no flans or anything too harrowing. With Cecil fully equipped with Genji gear, I go back to the Lunar Well and return to Earth. I now regret that little detour because it seems we're too late to stop the Giant of Babel being called through as it appears on the world map and starts terrorising the surrounding area. When, from out of nowhere, some dwarven tanks appear, being led into battle by Giot, the dwarven king, and in another tank is Yang with a couple of sylphs. They begin firing at the Giant of Babel. Then from the air flies Sid with a fleet of airships. On board another of these is Palamemporum. The Elder restored them from their self-inflicted state. Then on yet another airship is Edward, 
he has come to join the fight with a newfound courage given to him by witnessing Cecil's fearless acts of bravery. They also begin firing at the Giant of Babel. We decide to enter the Giant of Babel through its mouth to destroy the core. Cecil calls out to Sid, who picks him up in an airship and he flies us up and we lead Finn. The Giant of Babel isn't too hard to navigate, I make my way around without any hassle at all. I get to a point where I'm stopped by the four elemental lords, Zemus granted them a second chance at life. Rubiganti tells us we taught him the value of teaming up to achieve goals and that's exactly what they're going to do here. Once more he heals us and I'm forced to fight against them. And it turns out that teaming up was the secret source because they defeat us. I reload and try again and this time we manage to defeat them. Continuing on we find the core of the giant, the CPU. Fusoya tells us to kill the defense node first otherwise it will keep healing with CPU so we begin hitting it. We go defense node, then CPU, then the attack node. Due to having to actually play at a normal speed whereas normally I would fast forward through battles because I'm emulating things, um, this seems to take hours. Uh, I'm playing at normal speed because I've actually got to select targets not just hit attack. But it eventually goes down. Then Golbez appears, Kersness for defeating the giant. Fusoya gives Golbez a little bit of life coaching and tells him to look within himself to remember who he is. Fusoya then casts a spell and it breaks the connection between Golbez and Zemus. Golbez seems confused about the things he has done and remembers that his father's name is Kalua. Kalua. <coughs> And he is Cecil's brother. Zemus chose Golbez because he has the blood of Lunaria running through his veins and this made him easier to control. And it sounds like Cecil got off lightly. Golbez concludes that he must have been controlled over Cecil because Golbez has seeds of evil lying inside of him. Oh, poor Golbez. Golbez leaves with Fusoya to settle the score of Zemus. The party asks Cecil if he's going to go after Golbez and help, but Cecil seems to be in shock. The giant of Babel starts shaking and the party have some trouble getting Cecil into gear. Suddenly, Kane shows up, seemingly broken free of Golbez's control. We follow him to the exit. Once back on the Lunar Whale, Kane apologises once more for what he did whilst under control of Golbez. The party fill him in on the events leading up to this point. And the boys tell the girls that they have to stay behind because they plan to go to the moon to help fight Zemus. Yeah, girls, you can't do this. This is a boy thing, actually. You can't. Ugh. They aren't happy, but Rosa and Redia leave and we set off to the moon. When we arrive, we head off for Lunar Whale only to have Rosa and Redia pop back up and tell us they're going with us, so we all agree. After we leave, a naming way tells us we could change party members of a Hall of Prayers in Mycidia. Finally, I can get some pure melee party builds going. I return to Mycidia and unequip Rosa and Rydia and go to a Hall of Prayers. I choose to take Cecil, Sid, Kane, Yang and Edge because remember guys, girls are rubbish. <laughs> They're not girls are great. As we go to leave, a white mage comes rushing in with news of a sinister cloud covering Mount Odeals. The Elder asks to speak with us. 
He says that there's a legend of a new path opening up on Mount Odeals when the time comes for change. And we've agreed now to go and take challenge proposed. We fly a short distance to Mount Odeals and go in. When we do, some lightning cracks a new entrance into the mountainside. Going through, we discover the Cave of Trials. The enemies here are easy enough to deal with. I make my way through the floors, picking up some new armor for Sid and Yang. At the bottom, there are five weapons. When approached, you have to prove yourself to the boss before you claim the weapon. And this is only if you have a relevant party member with you. First, I collect Yang's claw. I have to defeat the Storm Dragon to acquire it, and it is the God Hand. It's a shame it was only one claw and not two though. Then I grab Sid's hammer, this is Thor's hammer. And it's only ours if we defeat Death Machine, which we do. I leave the rest here and then I exit. I'm going to sell some useless items and stock up on loads of potions and Phoenix Downs. My plan is to store as much as I can in Fat Chocobo for when I need it. When I reboard the Lunar Whale, I discover something I never knew. You can rest in the seats here. To me, they've always looked like pillars, but they're actually seats and you can rest for free. I've been using cottages and inns like a chump. After stocking up, I go back to the moon and head for the Crystal Palace again. Things are a lot easier this time. I haven't done any serious level grinding, but having a group of melee fighters is better than two melee fighters and three magic users, which is what this game has been so far. Also, Sid seems to hit the flans for more than one damage each, which is nice. I get to the Crystal Palace, and behind where we first met Foysoya is a door, which leads to a room with crystals in it. They tell us that they will lead us to the Moon Core, and we must take care of Zemus. Alright, here we go, final dungeon! In this final dungeon, there are some powerful weapons. The first one I come across is Murasaim for Edge, and it's guarded by a white dragon which isn't too hard to defeat, even though it does cast slow on the entire party. I pick up some pretty cool armors from chests, including a couple of protect rings, some dragon stuff and some crystal stuff. The next powerful weapon we come across is for Cecil, and it's Ragnarok. It's guarded by a dark Bahamut, who only gets one big hit in before we slay him. The next weapon I find is a Holy Lance for Cain. The enemy guarding this is called Plague, and it casts a countdown on my guys at the start of the battle. I managed to kill it before the time counts down to 7. I also find two ribbons in some chests on the same floor as the Holy Lance. Masamune is the next weapon and it's guarded by Ogopogo. This actually hits pretty hard and I'm getting a bit low on high potions. Luckily, on the very next floor I find a Gishul Whistle. This calls Fat Chocobo no matter where I am. I do so, get him to hold some useless stuff for me, and I pull out a bunch more high potions. We get to the final floor in time to see Golbez and Fusoya fighting Zemus. They kill him with double meteor. During a very small cutscene where people seem to just address Cecil, Zemus's body catches on fire. An entity born from Zemus's hatred calls itself Zeromus. Apparently, killing Zemus doubles his strength. Fantastic. Golbez and Fusoya launch into battle again. They try casting Meteor at Zeromus, but this just heals it. 
Vasuya tells Golbaz to use the crystal, which he does just before Zeromus uses Meteor himself and takes down Vasuya and Golbaz. Afterward, Zeromus swears to destroy the world and then scene shifts to the Tower of Prayer. Everyone at the tower sends their thoughts and prayers to us on the moon and it is a lot more effective than doing it on Facebook. Cecil stands up and goes to see Golbez. Golbez gives him a crystal and tells Cecil that he has to use it. This worries me because I can't use items in battle. Once the battle starts, images of our friends float before us and heal the party to full health. And it's time to hold down the attack button and do my own praying. But this doesn't help, as I cannot hit Zeromus. Every attack misses, and he doesn't even bother trying to hit the party. It looks like I'm going to have to use this crystal. Damn it. But, as with three, and I think going forwards, if I have to do something in the battle to progress the story, then it's not my fault. I have to do it. Once it's used in battle, Zero Must reveals its true self and we can attack it properly. And we take him down with only Edge dying, which is pretty good. Vesuya acknowledges the power the party has and admits the people of Earth may have already evolved past the Lunarians. Then Vesuya and Golbez return to sleep and the party returns to Earth to rest. They have succeeded in bringing peace to Earth. In the scenes that follow, we catch up on all the party members and the moon the Lunarians arrived in flies away. So, like with free, technically it's not possible to complete with just attack, but if you're going to progress story like you have to, um, then yeah, you can fight battles with just attack and beat the game. I think I chose the right version to play here. In other versions, you can't change party members near the end. Um, when they depart from your party, then they're gone for good. So it was very good having five strong fighters for the final dungeon and the final boss fight. And that concludes Final Fantasy IV. I did it. Um, it was fun. It was real fun. Um, I thought that the explaining things over and over again was a bit of a drag, like um, introducing party members over and over again. Yeah, that was a bit of a nightmare, but otherwise I enjoyed it. Um, I finished Endwalker sort of around the same time as I started to play this. So, yeah, it was nice seeing like all the all the things that Endwalker took from this game being played out. Thanks for joining me, guys. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, at SelectAttack. Um, also, I've got a Linktree thing down in the um, below section bit, the show notes or whatever it's called. If you could go tell your friends, give me a review, do do all the good stuff for me, that'd be really cool as well. I'm really enjoying making these podcasts. Um, I know they're not as as high quality as some of the podcasts out there, but it's my little project and it's like a little creative outlet for me, which I am loving. So I'm recording this on the very same day that I did my first charity stream uh, where I'm playing Final Fantasy IX Attack only and 
my god that 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 nearly killed me like literally nearly killed me i do six hour segments and i've only just got out of the forest you could probably guess why but because I'm recording this on the day that I did my stream, I also dropped a little trailer for what I'm up to in July. So the first episode of that is actually releasing tomorrow morning. Um, yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I've still got quite a lot of work to do. I was hoping to have stuff done for it by now, but I've only just managed to squeeze this out. It is now 20 past nine at night. And I've even just got around to doing this. So, yeah, I'm glad I managed to get this done before tomorrow morning. Okay, so if you tune in tomorrow, I will see you there. Um, if you don't tune in tomorrow, that's fine. That's fine as well. I still love you. Um, yeah, but until next time, see you later. Love you.